Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. This is God's holy word. And he told them a parable to the effect that they should always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. <coughs> Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And thus far, the reading of God's word, may he write it upon our hearts. Let's pray. Father, now we do seek you to, by the power of your Spirit, give us eyes. Open our eyes. Unstop our ears. And Father, soften our dull hearts. Sharpen our minds. Open them. Enlighten them that we may understand, hear, see, and believe all that your Spirit has revealed about Jesus in your word. For if you do not do this, we know that there is no hope. But if you do, then you will cause this to transform us. So we pray this. And we pray this according to your will. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. I may mention a couple of very famous theologians along the way, some of them whom you have never heard of. But you have heard of this first one, Martin Luther. He wrote once that out of difficult experiences emerge true Christians. And that is probably very true. Out of difficult experiences emerge true Christians. And this parable is, about as, mu as, a, is, a, is as much about suffering as it is about prayer. Or to put it another way, it's about how we ought to persevere in prayer in spite of every obstacle with our eyes fixed upon Jesus. And why? <coughs> because of our great need. Because of our great need of God. Because of our great need of His grace. Now the title of the sermon is Why Pray? And we're going to give a few answers to that question as we go along. Now, when a Christian suffers, now notice what the text says. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray, right, and not lose heart. So obviously, the, the first thing we ought to consider here is our problem with prayer. You say, well, I don't have a problem with prayer. Prayer is fine. Well, I, you know, we do have a problem with prayer. And I don't mean you or you or you. I mean all of us. And I mean Every Christian has a problem with prayer. And part of that problem 
is found right here in what Jesus Christ is talking about. He knows his disciples are going to suffer. He knows that when he, even before he's taken, they're going to suffer. You remember the garden, right? In the garden, what did they go to the garden of Gethsemane to do? Well, Jesus went there to pray. He wanted his disciples to pray with him. Now, Jesus wanted to go away alone and pray. And you can imagine why, given the weight and gravity of what he was about to face. But he said to his disciples, wait here and pray with me. And when he came back, oh, Jesus, oh, yeah. how's it going? You couldn't pray with me for an hour? Stay awake so that the devil doesn't tempt you. And he goes away and prays again. And he's bleeding. He's sweating blood. Accepting the cup that the Father has given him to drink. And he goes back to his disciples and... And they're sleeping. We have a problem with prayer. And I'm talking about the guys who spent three years with Jesus. All right? We got a problem with prayer. Part of our problem with prayer is particularly this. Jesus knows that they are going to suffer. Jesus knows that they're going to be tried beyond what they have ever experienced in their lives. And he doesn't want them to lose heart. Before he's taken and after he ascends to the Father, he knows this. So suffering, suffering tends to be one of our problems with prayer. When Christians suffer, there is certainly a temptation for us to despair, for us to lose heart, to withdraw into ourselves, withdraw away from the world, away from other Christians, and to just suffer in silence. Or maybe not in silence, but at least alone. Yeah. They say suffering loves company, but that's not always true. When we most need to draw near to other believers and to draw near to the Lord, we often don't. And suffering takes on so many different forms, right? Suffering can be the difficult trials that come into our lives. They can be financial trials. They can be marital trials. They can be um, friendships. They can be, wor uh, you know, trials at our work. They can be sicknesses and illnesses. They can even be the daily struggle and trial with our own sin and our own flesh, with the temptations of this world. You name it. There's trials out there, as well as, and what Jesus particularly has in mind, of course, is persecution. Persecution that comes from other Christians, sadly. Persecution that comes from the world. In fact, I was just reading about a church in Austria, uh, a Reformed Presbyterian church in Austria and Australia in one of our Harvest Call issues, a very early Harvest Call issue. Um, they are the only confessional, confessionally Reformed and Presbyterian church in either of those two countries. There's the state church that has long abandoned their, their historical roots. And... Do you know that the state church was so bothered by these three congregations? By the way, we're not talking about 300 congregations or something that might present some sort of challenge to the state church. They were talking about three congregations, but because they used the word reformed in their name, they got sued twice. They got sued once. It didn't work, so they sued them again. They lost. But still, can you imagine 
three little churches being sued by this massive state church in Austria? I mean, come on. But it happens. And it happens today. We know it happens today. And if things continue to go as they, they are, we may expect it to happen in our lifetime and to a, degree, and to a greater degree, even in this country and other countries that have historically been free, have, have historically had religious liberty. Christ is particularly talking about that here, but I think the application to any other trial in our life is completely appropriate. In the trial, Jesus says, I want to tell you something so that you don't, so you will always pray and not lose heart. Always. But see, that's not our only problem with prayer. Um, I remember hearing once that great theologian, Tevya, remember the fiddler on the roof, who, when his friend Perchik tells him, money is the world's curse, he responded, as good theologians do, may the Lord smite me with it, and may I never recover. <laughs> well, you see, not only suffering, brothers and sisters, but riches may impede our prayers as well. Comfort and ease in Zion. How many times did the prophets decry the comfort and ease in Zion, the great prosperity that Israel had, but because of it, they, their hearts fell away from the Lord. You see, at least the guy who's, who's suffering knows he needs something. But often, when all of our needs are met, we don't often realize that we still need Jesus just as much as when our needs hadn't been met. You see, riches and wealth can be just as an impediment to prayer. And I know you don't probably think it, but riches can actually be an affliction. Tevye didn't think so. But then again, not every theologian gets it right. You see, when we're hurting in the trial, we know that we need Jesus, don't we? We know we need Jesus in the trial. But what does James say about riches? James in James 5, 1 and following says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Huh? I thought I was miserable when I was poor, when I was struggling to make ends meet. I thought I was miserable when I wasn't sure how I was going to pay the car next, the next month or this month or whatever. Uh, no. No, you weren't as miserable, actually, as you thought you were. It's a matter of perspective, right? It's a matter of having God's perspective on things. But James says, for the miseries that are coming upon you, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and your corrosion will be evidence against you. you. And you will eat your flesh like fire. James is not, you're not going to hear James at Lakewood preached, I think. <laughs> Behold, 
the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. This is not the picture that Hollywood or that the media or that our culture gives of wealth and prosperity or that many churches or churches give today. But wealth, brothers and sisters, while it isn't bad, can become an impediment to our prayer and worse. So we ought not to think of the trial or the affliction as, as only one thing, as only one condition in life. It can be any of these conditions in life. And, one, I, and many people, how many people don't remember God in the moment of trial, but when, it, but when God then brings relief, they forget how much they needed him. And they forget God. Which is why God in the law is constantly telling Israel, when you who's in the desert and suffering, when you enter into the land, do not forget my law. Do not forget that you were slaves in Egypt and that I delivered you with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand. Don't forget. It's about just as common a command in the Bible as do not fear which we know is the most common command, but this has got to be up there like second or something or third. Don't forget. So we see that it's not quite as simple as it, lo as it, is on, as it looks like on the surface. There's more going on here. So from the Bible's perspective, both of these circumstances can impede our prayer. And I should say this about that before we move on to other problems you have with prayer, and I have with prayer, I include myself. And that is that the great theologian, Charles Spurgeon, great Baptist preacher, maybe better said. Um, and of course, if I got to pick Baptist preachers, he's my favorite. He said this, and truly, God himself cannot deliver a person who is not in trouble. Even Jesus Christ, the healer of men, cannot heal a person who is not sick. Now, I hope you understand what Spurgeon is trying to say there, the weight of that. Jesus said it a different way. I've not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. I didn't come to heal those who don't need a doctor, but the sick. That's what Jesus said. Perhaps a little bit more about that a little bit later. But there's something more serious. It's not really about circumstances. Prayerlessness and our problem with prayer has a very deeper root. It goes far deeper than that. See, a lack of prayer indicates a very serious spiritual condition. I don't mean it indicates <coughs> that one isn't a believer. Although, if one looks at their life and says, I never pray, because unbelievers don't pray. Prayer is not for believers. Or, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Prayer is not for unbelievers. Right? Oh, sure. They throw up the token. 
prayer when they hear they got cancer or when they or they ask for good vibes on Facebook or something like that or you know when the plane hits an air pocket and drops a couple thousand feet then they're like, oh God 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 get us all of a sudden prayer isn't for unbelievers prayer is for the believer prayer is given by God to us for as believers as his children to meet with him to commune with him to know him to wait upon him to learn from him all these things it's for us but what happens if we're not praying <coughs> that isn't what characterizes our spirituality in life well it's a very it indicates a serious spiritual condition and that spiritual condition is one word unbelief say can a believer have unbelief and belief at the same time absolutely absolutely we're not talking about the unbelief of the hardened heart and the unregenerate heart we're talking about our unbelief as christians that we need to recognize if we're ever going to if we're ever going to overcome it by God's grace, if we're ever going to move beyond that and attain that fullness of life that Jesus wants for us. So unbelief is the problem. Unbelief in God's word. Unbelief in his promises. Unbelief in his character. <clears throat> Sometimes we fear. And this has to do with losing heart and not growing weary or not fainting, as the Greek would imply. You know, sometimes we believe that God's love is no better than ours. And God forbid that his love were like mine, even as good as mine or as good as Mark's, which is way better than mine. Sometimes we fear that God's love is no better than ours. That's unbelief. We don't think he'll do it, or we don't think he cares, or we don't think he hears us. It's all unbelief because we're not hearing and believing the promise, the promise he's made to us. If, I ask, if you ask anything in my name, it will be done for you. Cheer up. Do not be discouraged, little Flock, for my Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He hears us, but we don't pray. Prayerlessness is a symptom also of rebellious self-reliance. I can do it myself. Things are going pretty well. Things are going pretty well in my marriage. Things are going pretty well in my job. Things are going pretty well in my ministry. Things are going pretty well in the church. Things are going pretty well in general. And we're not praying. Why? Because we don't think we need to. Or we don't say that. That would be really bad if we said that, right? Sound, no Christian actually says, I don't need to pray. No, no, no. We never say that. But that's what we're doing. Rebellious autonomy. Rebellious self-reliance. And we don't even do it on purpose sometimes. We just forget. We think, it's going so well. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. No. We really need to remember that apart from him, what did Jesus say? We can do nothing. nothing. We can do nothing. That should drive us to our knees, right? Let's summarize this. 
our problem with prayer, whether in trials or in peace, is unbelief and rebellious pride. So we, to begin, to begin here, if we, examining our own hearts this morning, if we see that our lives are characterized or by prayerlessness or even less prayer than we ought, than we know we ought, this is, a, this is an opportunity for repentance. Recognition and repentance. And all repentance means in this case is telling the Lord what he already knows. Lord, I don't pray. Lord, I don't pray as I ought. Forgive me and help me to seek you, to know you, to love you, to lay all things before you. And even when I'm not sure what to say to you, maybe just to sit there in silence and meditate upon your word or sing a hymn or a spiritual song, which, by the way, I don't know which great theologian or old theologian said it, um, but, or if any great theologian said it, but I have heard it said that he who sings prays twice. So often when I don't know how to pray, I just sing. And I pray. Well, this is our problem with prayer, but the Lord offers us encouragement in prayer, and, and here it is. And I'll just summarize this briefly. You all have heard the story. There's this judge. He's a real jerk. He's unrighteous. He doesn't have any regard for men, and he doesn't have any regard for God whatsoever. I'm, not, I'm going to resist any and all temptations to make modern parallel, sort of modern parallel application here, right? But you guys can, you know that this still happens today. It's not like today we have, oh man, we just have wonderful leaders who are selfless and all for the people, right? No, no, the same thing that was going on back then, going on today. So we can all relate to this. There was this judge who was in it for himself, didn't fear God, didn't respect man, but there was this widow who had this need, who had suffered an injustice. And what does she do? She does what she ought to do. She goes to the legal authority, the civil authority, who has the power to right the wrong. And she says, I've been wronged. Right my wrong. And he says, no. No. But she's a widow. What does she have? She's probably, I mean, in, in the context of the culture and whatever, she's probably been defrauded. She's probably been defrauded of her livelihood or some property or something that she, that she needs to live on. But the judge doesn't care. He says, sweetheart, this court's just like every other, you know, like everywhere else. You gotta pay to play. You need justice. Justice ain't free. Yeah, I, this is what's going on. We would be appalled if we heard about this in the news today, and sometimes we do. This is what's going on. So she keeps going back to him. Now, apparently, in the parable, there's no real recourse, but she keeps going back and she goes back and she goes back, and it's always. But what does she have to give? So she keeps going back and back and back. Finally. The judge is fed up. He's like, oh, oh this woman. She's going to wear me out. 
or the text, actually the word for beat me down in our translation, not a bad translation, it's really what it, it's, it's really a colloquialism or a, a, a saying, it's really to beat me down, but it literally means to give someone a black eye. She's giving me a beat down, means to give him a black eye. It may, there may be an idea here that this is now getting out of hand and soon enough this will become public knowledge that could be embarrassing for this judge who is a public figure. Not good if you want to keep your business going. So the unrighteous judge says, fine, you know, really, at the end of the day, fine, I give you justice. What is the moral of the story? And how does this teach us not to lose heart, but to pray always? Now, if we come to verse 7 and 6 and 7, and this is what we call the crux interpretum. Or for those of you who go, why is he using Latin? Right. Because it's fun. It just means the key verses, the key to the interpretation, the crux of the story. Now, without these two verses, we can't understand what the parable means. But it is fun to use Latin every once in a while. So, what does Jesus say? He says this. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Huh? Let's just stop there for a minute. Huh? What do you mean hear what the unrighteous judge says? Why doesn't Jesus say, have you ever noticed this? Why doesn't Jesus say, look at the example of this widow. How she persists and persists and persists and she gets justice. You, therefore, be like the widow. You know there's that hymn, Dare to be a Daniel. Maybe that she should have just titled this, entitled this sermon, Dare to be the widow. No, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus, for, so, for some reason, which we'll give you in a second, does not call his disciples' attention to the, to the widow, to her perseverance in the face of all obstacles. Boy, that would make for just a great, I could preach for five hours on that. Persevering and all, under all obstacles, what a positive attitude, blah, 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 blah. That's not what Jesus is doing at all. He doesn't call any attention to the widow. And ironically, we all know this parable is what? The parable of the persistent widow. Interesting how translator choices in terms of headings color our interpretation of the text. But we need to let the text speak. And what the text says here is, listen, here, or the word for here, here, could also mean pay close attention to what the unrighteous judge says. Though I do not, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming and the very next words that Jesus says in verse 7 and will not God see Jesus isn't comparing the disciples to the widow he isn't guys he's not telling us dare to be a widow like this widow he's saying look at the great difference between this unrighteous judge who dispensed human justice 
even though he didn't want to. And the difference between your heavenly father. See the contrast here. What we need to pay close attention to is the contrast between the judge and God. The judge says, I neither fear God nor respect man. But the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish. The Bible says that even while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. The Bible says that God loved us so much that he did not spare his own son, but he delivered him up for us all. What a difference. God is not the unrighteous judge. He loves his honor and glory, and he loves those who he has made in his image. And that is incredible encouragement in prayer. Does God care in my trial? Oh, he loves you. Not only did he give up his son for you to rescue you from your sin and your guilt, but then the Bible says because he did this, he is causing all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now the judge says, because this widow keeps bothering me. Oh, God is never bothered by the prayers of his people. God is never bothered by the needs of his people. God is never burdened or bothered when we come to him. He bids us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God is never bothered by you. In fact, I like to say, we often hear that God loves us. But how often do we hear that God likes us? There's something to that. God likes you. But I don't like myself half the time. Oh. But we're in Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to tell you something. That, I, that blows my mind, and I hope it blows yours. That because you are in Christ, God loves you with the same love, deep and profound, unmeasurable, the same love with which he loves his only begotten, eternal son. I said that once, somebody out there said that can't possibly be true God has to love his own son more than us and then there was another minister that, that said brother I hope that's true what Nick just said otherwise we have no hope <laughs> and it's true because we are in Christ his body he loves you he loves his church just as much as he loves his only son. I know that's, that's food for thought. It's, you know, that, maybe that takes a while to process. It certainly does for me. 
Finally, the judge says, lest she beat me down by her continual coming. And what does God say? Seek. Actually, the Greek implies keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep asking. And you will find and the door will be opened and it will be given. See, God is completely opposite. Look at the character of the judge. What a scumbag. But God's character is faithful. So that even when, actually, even when we aren't as faithful as we ought to be, he still remains faithful. And he doesn't abandon us. And he even still answers our prayers, even if we're not always praying as we should. And here's another thing. Brothers and sisters, if our prayer, if the, if the effectiveness or if the outcome of our prayers, if our, if our encouragement in prayer depended upon our persistence, we would most certainly faint and lose heart. Raise your hand if you're just this prayer warrior. I mean, I wish I could. I am raising my hand right now, but it's just for illustra- illustra- illustrative purposes. But come on, guys. If we were, and the Lord can make us such, oh, that would be, that would be spectacular. I think we'd see the world transformed if the church were like that. But it doesn't depend upon us. The, the foundation of our encouragement isn't us. God, if it were, we would have only despair because we are so inconsistent. We are so double-minded so often. We're so distracted by the things of this world. Hold on. I just got a message on Facebook. You know, we're so... Oh, my God. They posted a great picture of pizza. You know, it's like we get so distracted in this world. And we don't think about God. So thank God our encouragement in prayer, our hope in prayer is not us, but God, who is faithful. He's faithful to his word. He is faithful and true to himself, and he is faithful to us with whom he is covenanted in the Lord Jesus Christ and for whom he gave his son to seal us with his blood and purify for himself a people without spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing. That is our encouragement and prayer. Not dare to be a widow, but dare to trust in God. That is what this is all about. What an encouragement for the disciples as they were about to face great hardship. And what an encouragement for us when we grow weary and lose heart in our Christian walk or when our churches face obstacles or when we as Christians face obstacles because of our faith or, for, or just the trials of life come over us like a wave and seem to drown us. But even in the sea, as the psalmist said, even if I, see, even if I go to the depths of the sea, there you are. <laughs> so even there, your right hand will guide me. Because he will not abandon us or forsake us. Now, that is our encouragement and prayer, brothers and sisters. I just went way away from my notes, and that's all right. I'm just going to look for place. Where I'm going with this. 
Oh, yes. There's one last problem. And with this, we'll end. Jesus says this. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. This is a weird thing that Jesus says because it doesn't seem to fit our experience at all. We pray and pray and pray. And part of the reason we grow discouraged in prayer is we don't get answers right away. Our fast food culture says, go through the drive, go through the prayer drive through, order the big, order the big, you know, the big salvation or the big whatever, and get your, get your spiritual Big Mac on the way through, and you get it in you know, under 60 seconds. That's not prayer, and that's not the spiritual life. The, the fast food culture, or the ha get it now and get what's yours culture, is not the Christian life or the Christian culture. So what the text says here does not jive, didn't, didn't fit with our experience. But I'm going to tell, tell you why. It's poorly translated. And I understand why it's poorly translated. And I could give you all the reasons why it's poorly translated if you want me to go another 30 minutes, which you don't. And, and I could even tell you all the complexities of the Greek and how there's no obvious signs of, a question, of two questions here in the Greek, blah, blah, blah. And then you go to sleep, and I'd have to do something crazy to wake you up. So I'm not going to do that. But if you want to know, come and ask me afterward. But I will say this. There are not two questions here. There is one question. And it should, and I think there is at least one translation that does this, and I don't think it's in English. <laughs> but, and, and I remember, forget which one it is, but it should read like this, and this will make so much more sense when you read it like it should be read. So here it goes. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night, though he delay long over them? That's not two questions. One question with this. Will not God give justice which, to his elect, which requires a yes answer, but with this caveat, though he delay long over them. Brothers and sisters, one of our problems with prayer is that God does not answer our prayers or respond to us when and how we think he should. And our experience as Christians teaches us this, but the Bible also teaches us this, not just here, but elsewhere. See, here, Jesus does not pass over one of our greatest problems with prayer. In fact, he confesses it, and he admits it, and he tells us, do you believe that God will give justice even though he delays long over you? Even though he waits a long time to do it. A long time in whose perspective, really, in our perspective. I mean, Jesus admits our problem, but Jesus is going to give us the answer. And it's good that Jesus is honest, right? Well, he, did, he is the truth, but he's honest with us about prayer. Do not grow discouraged, even though the prayers don't, like, magically materialize before your eyes, guys. Because God has actually told you. It's not a possibility. He's told you. I very well may delay long over you. 
the answer may take some time in coming. Why? Because our ways are not his ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our time is not his time. And perhaps the, and here's, here's the truth, perhaps the answer won't come in our lifetime or in our generation. We pray for revival. We pray for a new day of spiritual awakening. And we may be dead in the tomb before Jesus ever answers that prayer. Maybe not, and we pray not. But we have to be. Here's the thing about, and, he, and here's really the, the crux of it, because Jesus says this, I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. He says, huh? What, Jesus? Yes, speedily. And what's that all about? Well, it could be two things. Either when, he when it is his time to give justice, he will do it, and it'll happen. Or, speedily, according to God. <laughs> but see, whether he delays long over us, or whether the prayer, we see the answer to prayer quickly, is really not the issue for us. And that's because of what he's... Well, we need to understand that this, is, this, is, this happens, and we ought not to grow weary and lose heart if the answer takes a long time in coming, because of the last thing he says here, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? You see, we said our problem with prayer is a result of unbelief and, a rebellious, and rebellious pride. But prayer, and but that's because prayer is about faith. It's not blind faith. It's not like, I hope, I hope. No, it's about a confidence that we have. Faith in God's promises, his word, in his character, who he is. And if we believe those things, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth will triumph still. Martin Luther. Right? We can persevere under any odds in wealth or in poverty, in sickness or in health, in trials or in peace. Because our hope is set on Him. Because prayer is about faith. A praying people is a people who believes God. A praying people is a people who relies on God, who cast themselves on God, who trusts God. A praying people a praying church is a church that understands that prayer is not about me, but about God and His glory. So it's ultimately about faith. So I will end just with this. This is an exhortation that Jesus gives us to pray and always and not lose heart. And basically, if you were, to, and I know I took 44 minutes to say this one thing. If Jesus would say anything to his disciples in summary form, other than what he actually said, it might be this. Come what may, and however long it takes, guys, for you to see the justice you seek, or the answer to prayer that you seek, or the need met that you have, Fix your eyes on Jesus. For he is the author and the finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. 
despising its shame, and has sat down with all authority in heaven and earth given to him at the right hand of God. And he is using all things in your lives together for good to perfect you, to bring you to glory. And that good work that he has begun in you, he will carry it on to completion. Yes, through quick answers to prayer and oftentimes through trials and slow answers to prayer until that day of Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do seek you this morning. We ask your forgiveness that we are not the men and women of prayer we ought to be. We're not the churches of prayer that we ought to be. And we so often fail and rely all too much upon ourselves and our own talents and our own gifts and our own strength and how foolish we are to do that. Like Samson getting up after his haircut, we are so foolish just to think we could take on the Philistines without you. Oh, Father, give us faith. Strengthen our faith and fix our eyes only on Jesus and on the grace that is to be revealed to us at the coming of our Lord so that we might walk by faith, not by sight, trusting in your promises, your word, and in who you are. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen.